the U.S. government moves to safeguard email communications and monitoring employee actions to mitigate the insider threat. These stories coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We begin today's security report with a close look at the domain-based message authentication reporting and conformance email validation system, commonly known as DMARC. The genesis of DMARC dates back to 2011, but in the past week, DMARC has resurfaced as a way to secure email messaging. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security issued a directive ordering federal agencies to elevate their email security standards by adopting DMARC. In many respects, the federal government is playing catch-up with commercial email providers, such as Google, Yahoo, and Microsoft, that adopted DMARC years ago. How does DMARC work? I'll get to that in a moment. First, let's identify the vulnerabilities enterprises in and out of government face that would require DMARC deployment. Here's Wes Dobry. He's Principal Security Architect with the email security company Agari. He spoke with ISMG's Tom Field. As companies start to look for some of this bad stuff, the attackers actually start to switch their methods. They start to implement countermeasures. They start to use emails that don't have payloads. They start to use emails that are getting past existing gateways and actually getting delivered, or even just doing some more advanced deceptions, things like sending ads at company's domain if they don't have something like a DMARC policy in place, right. and then actually going impersonating somebody else within the organization that they may not be looking at. So all these attacks just continually get more and more advanced and more and more threatening to organizations. So in other words, organizations have deployed countermeasures, but the attackers have countered the countermeasures. Exactly. As they've learned in enterprise policies and the way that they're actually doing these additional attacks, different deception techniques and social engineering techniques are coming in. Things like instead of going to other executives, they're going direct to accounts payable resources or they're impersonating other partner organizations and attacking through a parallel attack from another organization impersonating them because they're not protected. And then that partner email comes in and something like an execution of a PO occurs. Those types of attacks are even more difficult because it looks like a trusted email. It seems like a trusted email. It goes through business workflow processes that are already in place, and it makes it very, very easy to go and fall, fall to those attacks. How does DMARC work? DMARC fits into an organization's existing inbound email authentication process by helping email receivers determine if the reported message aligns with what the receiver knows about the sender. DMARC exploits two existing mechanisms, Domain Keys Identified Mail, or DKIM, and Sender Policy Framework, or SPF. DMARC allows the administrative owner of a domain to publish a policy on which DKIM or SPF are employed when sending email from the domain and how the receiver should deal with failures. DMARC also provides a reporting mechanism of actions performed under those policies. Joshua Schleicher is a managing consultant for fraud solutions at fraud detection and prevention company Easy Solutions. Schleicher spoke with ISMG News Editor Howard Anderson. What this really provides an organization is visibility into their email channel. The ability to identify maybe those senders that are spoofing their emails, so people illegitimately using their email domain to deliver phishing campaigns or malware. It also allows them visibility into the possibly like the legitimate senders, the internal senders or third-party senders that are supposed to be using their domain that aren't properly configured. It gives them a very strong level of reporting around email and enables them to take control of that email channel and actually uh, give them more trust in the communications that they're trying to provide to their customers. How can organizations apply the intelligence obtained through the DMARC standard to improve their fraud protection strategy? 
The DMARC standard really provides very robust reporting. Now, depending on email volume, this can be a lot of information. So the reports could contain a ton of XML data or, or kind of complex data that an organization might receive, and they might not be able to get a ton of value out of it at its default. We encourage organizations to work with vendors that actually help them visualize and identify the email flows, maybe create workflows around the information provided in DMARC to allow them to really understand and visualize how their email is being delivered. Those people who are taking essentially illegitimate use of that for phishing or malware delivery and also help them understand what the receivers are actually doing with their emails once they're sent. eMark really allows them to not only get that reporting but have some level of control over what uh, happens to those emails when they're actually received by a lot of the inboxes around the world. As more organizations adopt eMark, such as the U.S. federal government, other enterprises will be encouraged to adopt the email validation system. Here's Agari Chief Technology Officer Vidar Aparia. There is a network effect that has to take place, and it does take sometimes several years for that flywheel to really turn. Our feeling is that it is truly turning at this point, and there is an inflection point. It's a point echoed by Global Cyber Alliance Chief Executive Bill Reitinger, who once served as a top cybersecurity policymaker at DHS. Reitinger says if the U.S. government can deploy DMARC across more than 1,300 domains, then we should expect the same of the companies on which we depend. When the ISMG security report returns after this message, we'll take a look at a long-term battle to fight the insider threat. Sometimes this is organized crime who's actually sending people specifically in to get the kind of access that will give them access to large amounts of really good data. You're listening to the ISMG security report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. ISMG's Healthcare Security Summit will take place November 14th and 15th in New York City. Keynote address will be provided by Jim Ralph, Chief Security Officer, Aetna Global Security, followed by other industry-leading CISOs from organizations like Blue Cross Blue Shield, New York Presbyterian, Hospital for Special Surgery, and more. Visit events.ismg.io and register today. We're back. The quest to successfully mitigate insider threat risks must start when employees are hired and continue as they move into different jobs requiring varying degrees of data access. To explain more, here's Health Info Security Executive Editor Marianne Kolbasak-McGee. Recruiting people to gain access to and steal sensitive information such as health records is not as uncommon as you would think. As Verizon Enterprise Solutions' Susan Widdop describes, a variety of types of individuals are enlisted to pilfer the data. Often, they're employees who already have access to records. Other times, they're individuals just hired for jobs with specific access to patient files and financial records. Sometimes these are people who are already in place and are recruited by family members or acquaintances, or sometimes this is organized crime who's actually sending people specifically in to get the kind of access that will give them access to large amounts of really good data for tax fraud and identity theft and other financial fraud. Widip says preventing organized crime from recruiting potential insiders isn't easy. First of all, she says, organized crime won't send in someone who has a criminal background. That means background checks won't catch that individual. But Widdup says monitoring actions of new employees could mitigate data theft. 
What I really do recommend, though, is maybe a probationary period where what they're accessing is monitored heavily. If they're going in with the express idea that they're going to get access to the information, they're probably not going to want to wait around and do the job for a long time. They're probably wanting to get in and get the data and get out. If you monitor their access pretty heavily, especially in like the first three months or something, you've probably got a pretty good chance of catching someone before they've gotten a lot of data, hopefully. While the use of role-based access controls also can help prevent insider breaches, the role-based privileges must be frequently reviewed, and limiting access privileges to specific files isn't enough to defend against data theft. Role-based access could specify the specific fields within a patient record that can be viewed. A nurse, for instance, doesn't need access to patients' financial information. Certainly, you can get a lot more granular on what you can provide a view of rather than give them everything. That's another way of limiting the exposure and the risk. The bottom line for many organizations, whether in healthcare or other sectors, is diligence in assuring that proper controls are in place and that they're monitored closely. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Marian Kolbesak-McGee. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.